Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to get green. Doug Oster and Jessica Walliser are here. All natural, no pesticides, no artificial ingredients. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. Hey, Doug is off today, but Jessica Walliser is here. You know her, of course, from this show. And, of course, she is a world-renowned horticulturist, and she speaks all over the country. She's an author, and she happens to also be with the Tribune Review, as Doug is. And Doug does great work for them, too, and everybodygardens.com. Tenth caller right now is going to win a $25 gift certificate from the good folks at Sorgles out there in that great community of Wexford, 412-922-1020. And the great thing about when Doug's not here... I actually get a chance to ask a few questions that only I, not even a novice gardener, am curious about. <laughs> we were talking about the great Davy tree, and obviously I'm a big fan. I follow everything that they do, and they're just amazing. But I was thinking about this snow, and I just said, you know, people act like this is a lot of snow. And I said, you know, I, I know when you get a little bit older, you always look back and think those were the good old days, and, you know, things were a little different, and we walked to school five miles backwards uh, in the snow. <laughs> But, you know, when you think of these great trees, and you love trees, and I love trees, and especially the great Douglas fir and these spruce trees and those wonderful trees that people celebrate holidays with, but I've always admired, especially when they are covered with snow, when the folks who came to this country were really buried in snow and there wasn't PennDOT doing what they do, obviously, those trees really were survival as far as from the elements and the weather. A lot of folks use them as shelter. So Mother Nature in a roundabout way, whether it was planned or it was destiny, I'm not sure. But trees really do have a lot to do with the human element of this country, especially back during the early stages of our country. Would that be a fair statement, do you think? Sure, yes. And good morning. I'm horticulturist Jessica Walliser. And there's no doubt, I mean, trees are responsible for life on Earth. If we did not have trees, we wouldn't have oxygen and we wouldn't have us. So beyond using them, obviously, for building as we do and uh, an energy source and fuel as the original People who lived in this country, the Native Americans, right? They burned right. it for fuel and all that. Um, you know, they they provide us with the oxygen that we breathe. They clean the air for us. Um, they provide us with food. You know, nuts, berries, fruits. I mean, that was the that was a, a major food source. Uh, still is for many people, but uh, definitely for um, the original inhabitants of this country. Life yeah. would be really a very sad place without trees. You know, you, you, I, people take them for granted. But ever since I was a kid, and I remember living in the home that I grew up in, called Branson Heights in New Brighton, we had a big picture window. I mean, everybody had a picture window in their home. But I would sit in this chair a lot of times and look at this maple tree that my dad had planted and watch it grew, grow as I grew. Mm-hmm. And I still drive by that house today from time to time, and I see that maple tree. And right away, it takes me back to my youth, sitting in that chair on a nice spring day, watching the leaves and things of that nature finally start to uh, to bloom and, and obviously the changing of the season. So trees are a good thing, and we're real happy about having Davy Tree back in a few short weeks for another year. Lots to get to, but, you know, uh, spring rings eternal, and this time of year, 
year when you get a little cold, you get a little snow, you start thinking about nurseries and planning and moving forward. But it's got to be tough for someone who's been involved as you have your entire life and professional life in the world of gardening because once the holidays are gone, it's time to start thinking about springtime. Yeah, I mean, we're all gardeners are busy and dreaming about the coming gardening season. Um, but I just would like to remind people with this conversation that we're having about trees that, you know, the gardening season doesn't just begin in spring with seed starting. Actually, there's things you can be doing in your garden now. And it, we especially talk about trees and shrubs. Now is an excellent time to do a lot of pruning tasks. And um, I had the fortune of being with the Mercer County Master Gardeners yesterday for their annual winter um, symposium. And after I gave my talk, um, Nancy Knaus, who is with the Cooperative Extension, she's the head of the Pennsylvania Cooperative Extension uh, Master Gardeners Program, and she gave a great talk on pruning. And she covered the uh, must-dos and the please-do-nots of pruning trees and pruning uh, woody shrubs. And it was it was a good reminder and a great refresher for me to um, see she had beautiful pictures uh, and illustrations of you know, somebody says, oh, I have an, an overgrown lilac and I want to know how do, how do I prune it? And she had wonderful illustrations of uh, exactly where to make the pruning cuts on different examples and both live pictures and illustrations. And it was a great reminder that right now is an excellent time to be pruning almost all dormant trees, which is deciduous trees that don't have leaves and shrubs on them uh, and shrubs as well. Uh, and fruit trees, especially wintertime, January, February into early March is the best time to be doing these things. Now, I know that a lot of our local garden centers, um, Sorgals also uh, on their orchard property usually has some pruning workshops where you can go and you can watch an expert do the pruning. You can do a hand. Some of them do offer hands-on workshops. And that really is the best way to learn pruning. Um Especially if you can't go to a, a program like the one Nancy gave yesterday where you're watching examples on the screen. So go and see it live if that's another option for you. Uh, it's, it's extremely important that that if you have foundation plants around your home, things like rhododendrons, arbovita, viburnums, that you keep them regularly pruned so that they don't get big and gigantic because what happens when they get big and gigantic is then you send me an email or you call me on the radio show and you say, okay, my lilac is now 20 feet tall. There's only blooms at the top. What do I do? If you had done proper maintenance pruning every couple of years as that plant was growing, you wouldn't get to the point where it's 20 feet tall with only blooms on the top. So, you know, now you're stuck with this task when it is 20 feet tall of rejuvenative pruning, which is a huge task of cutting a certain number of the branches all the way down to the ground, really doing it aggressively. It takes the plants a couple of years to really rebound. Whereas if you had done it a little bit every year or every other year, that would be better. Now, that does not mean that I want you to go out with a head trimmer or a hand pruner and turn your shrubs into meatballs. That's not proper pruning. Proper pruning is following the branches out from the tips in down into the plant where they meet another branch and that's where you're making the cut. You're doing it judiciously. You're doing it step by step um, it, with careful thought and careful planning and you're pruning it back. It doesn't look like a meatball in the end. It still retains its natural shape. And this is whether you're talking about a forsythia or a wygelia or a viburnum, no matter what the natural shape of that shrub is, when you're done pruning, 
It should be smaller in size, but it shouldn't look like you pruned. It shouldn't be shaped into a meatball. That's what healthy pruning is. If you could really turn them into meatballs, that'd be something, wouldn't it? It really would, wouldn't <laughs> well, I it? I could make a little bit of money doing that. <laughs> Voila, meatballs. All right, listen, short break. Gina and Cranberry, congratulations. Already folks starting to line up, wanting to talk to Jessica. Doug is off today. If you want to uh, take a couple of the lines that we have available, you can do so by dialing 866-391-1020. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. All right, we're back. Uh, Jessica and I uh, just talking gardening, folks, and time got away from us. All right, time to go to work. Let's talk to Kay in the North Hills. First up for Jessica Walliser. Hey, Kay, how you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Um, Jessica, I have brought my begonias in to winter over, uh, and I'm... They're developing some kind of a mold on the leaves. Do you know what to do about that? I do. So do you happen to know what type of begonias these are? They're, they're the dark double begonias, little ones. They're little tiny rose-looking things when they bloom. Okay, so they're probably a tuberous begonia when you describe yeah. them as little tiny rose-looking things. They're probably a tuberous. Um, so a couple different things with those. One, you can overwinter them as a houseplant, uh, as you're doing. Um, you can also overwinter them. They're, they're a tuber or a bulb-like structure that is under the ground. So a lot of people will actually overwinter them like you would overwinter a dahlia tuber or a caladium bulb, just sort of as the bare bulb in a box of peat moss. So if you wanted to, you could do that as well. But in your case, since you're growing them as a houseplant, you probably have a case of a fungal uh, disease called botrytis. And botrytis is actually a very, very common fungal disease on all types of plants, but it's particularly fond of begonias, unfortunately. Um, a couple things that you can do to cut down on that, it will start as sort of spots on the leaves, lower leaves usually yellowing, and then they'll sort of turn into this water-soaked, mushy, fuzzy growth. Um, as soon as you see leaves that are starting to become affected by it, you need to pinch them off the plant immediately and then um, wash your hands before you work on the plants again to make sure that you're not spreading those spores. Um, you need to make sure that the foliage stays completely dry when you water because like other fungal organisms, Botrytis loves wet conditions. Um, don't Put that plant where you are like growing orchids that you have a high humidity tray with or something. You don't want them to be very humid. Don't keep them in the bathroom where you have a lot of steam and humidity. Um, they're much better off in a slightly drier room. That will cut down on that as well. But what you might find with tuberous begonias is you might find it will gradually slowly die back completely because it wants to shift into a natural dormancy, which is fine because then you'll just have that bulb. Just let it sit in the soil. Don't even have to bother watering it uh, and and put the put the little pot in your garage or something like that, and it'll easily overwinter that way as well. Okay. I don't okay. need to spray it with anything or do anything like that. No, no. I mean, I would definitely keep it on the drier side, so okay. don't water nearly as frequently and keep the foliage dry. Those are going to be the two prime things to stop that fungal organism because it needs moisture to survive. Okay, thank okay. you very much. Thank you, Kay. All right, we go from Kay to Whitehall and say hello to Joanne up next for Jessica Wallace. You're on the Organic Gardening Show. How are you, Joanne? I'm, jo I'm well, and thank you for taking my call. Uh, Jessica, I have a stupid question, maybe. Uh, I usually oil my all my tools before I put them away. What is the best kind of oil or 
what can you use? Are you talking about pruning equipment or are you talking about shovels and that? shovel shovels okay. and uh, you know everything? <laughs> okay, so I actually when you know because it does help cut down on the rust, which is wonderful, right. especially if you have older tools and you want that maybe belong to your parents or grandparents, and you really want to preserve them. And I actually have experimented with. Um, I I read something once about vegetable oil, and I thought, how can that be right? And I did it. I didn't like it at all. I didn't like using the vegetable gar- vegetable oil. I actually like just that little, um, the three-in-one oil that you, you, you use to oil your hinges. Um, hinges on the doors and the doorknobs yeah. and things like that. I just put that on a cloth after cleaning the tool and just wipe a real thin layer of that on, and I think it works great. Now, is there any possibility, like you said, vegetable oil? You'll be... You're referring to like Crisco and things like that? Yeah, like a regular vegetable oil. I had, and I'm trying to remember where I had read that. It might have been like Martha Stewart or something like that, hmm. where she used regular vegetable oil like that on her pruning blades. But for me, it got really gummy, uh, and I didn't like it. It was sort of like when, you know, when you use a cast iron skillet and you season it and it gets too much of a layer on it and it gets gummy. That's what yeah. it kind of did on my tools. So that's why I feel like that three-in-one just works so much better. Um, and Or even WD-40, just a spray of WD-40 and then wipe it with a cloth on there to get that nice sheen that's going to protect it from rust. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Joanne. All right. Good, good day. Good, mm-hmm. You too. I don't think we're the only ones that have early uh, spring fever. These phones are kind of busy. That's good. I, I keep know. it rolling because it's tough when you're here by yourself. Well, yeah. I mean, you're here, but I'm without Doug. <laughs> I totally, you are by yourself <laughs> when it comes to this topic. Deb in the North Hills. How you doing, Deb? Hi, I'm wonderful. Thanks for taking my call. Jessica, I have a quick question for you. It has nothing to do with gardening at my house, but I've been seeing on the news where people have been cutting down the Joshua trees. And I just, I was wondering, like, how long they take to grow, what's the significance of them, if any, those type of, and how you feel about that. Holy cow. Well, Deb, I wish I had the answers to all of those questions. I have not heard about that, but what a shame that people are destructing uh, or destroying property that belongs to all of us. I mean, we are all public land owners, right? So they're, yes. they're stealing it from us, and I don't know if it's a souvenir thing or what. Um, I don't know much about Joshua trees. They are not species that grow anywhere near where we live. Um, yeah. So I would, uh, you know, maybe take that question to a California gardening expert or somebody out okay. uh, in a okay, western yeah, region. I was curious. They're supposedly cutting them down to make way so that they can ride their four wheelers and stuff through these state parks now that they're not being man- uh, manned because of the shutdown. Oh my goodness, that's really, really, very, very sad. If that's the case, yeah. that's yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have more information about that. You're not Very a veterinarian, sad. and my dog never did this, but somebody just sent a text message. I, I, got to, I can only in my head yeah. picture what this question is going to be, but go ahead. You know, why <laughs> Why does this guy's dog eat the grass all the time? I, I, I don't know why dogs do. They say to settle their stomach, or, I mean, is there something that makes... Do- uh, my dogs never did that, but... It's a question, and I wanted to ask you. I have I have no idea. I think that's one for Dr. Mike. Absolutely. I really don't know. I mean, I I always heard that they ate the grass to to do the opposite, to make themselves purge out something oh, really? in their stomach that didn't belong there. Or maybe it's just because sometimes dogs are weird. Just like humans. Said with love as right. a former dog owner. Right. Sometimes they are weird. We do have to admit that. All right. But often cats are weirder. So also as an owner of two cats. So, so, you know, (laughs) I'll be honest with you. We had cats when I was growing up. Yeah. 
then I went to the, the dog life and absolutely yeah. love my dogs. And, and I love my cats. But my daughter got a cat a couple of years ago. And, you know, I truly find this cat fascinating. Yeah. And yeah. What, what, what amazes yep. me, how agile and athletic they are. Oh, totally. And different personalities. Like, I never had cats before. And we have two now. And they couldn't be two more different cats. And they're raised, you know, they're not in the same litter, but they were raised as the same, right? Because they were rescue kitties raised from um, by by bottle, and they couldn't be two more different personalities. Pretty awesome, you know? though. Yep. All right, let's go to Eleanor. Eleanor, how you doing? Good, thank you, and thank you for the show. It's always interesting. I recently moved to a retirement home and received a gift of uh, of an orchid, and I'm wondering how best to care for it. Do you happen to know from the tag in that pot what type of orchid it is? It does not say. It does say that it should be in a bright, well-lit location, but no direct sun. So mm-hmm. the only thing I have is a south window, and but I have a, a cellular um, shade uh, between the plant and the window. Okay, so I actually think uh, take that shade away and just have this, the plant in the south-facing window. It wouldn't have to be immediately in the window. It could be you know, on a little table near the window. Um, if it's a Phalaenopsis orchid, which are the ones that look, they describe them as a moth orchid. The blooms look almost like a, a moth with the two wings on the sides. You see them oh. a lot of times, just even in the grocery store at the little flower counter there. They have them I a lot swear of times. I, I don't know. I don't know where it came from. Okay, well, that's probably what it is. They're the, the ones that are most common to find nowadays. And um, what kind is it? Uh, um, what they call a moth orchid, which it's a... A fa- moth orchid yes. because of the wings. Okay. Yes, exactly. And Phalaenopsis is the genus for it. But regardless of that, yes, a bright uh, window, but not direct sunlight. Is it potted in potting soil or kind of like bark, pieces of bark chips? Yeah, yes, there are roots that they came in a pot, and there's roots over the the top yep. of the soil. I can't tell what's under it. Yeah, but is it potting soil or is it like bark chips that's still in the pot? I haven't poked around to find. Okay, because that would make a little bit of difference as far as watering goes. Um, if well, it's, this said three ice cubes a week. Okay, so that's what that's sort of a popular way nowadays of them telling you an easy way to water an orchid is to just let an ice some ice cubes melt and slowly seep down to the roots. And that's mm. an okay way to do it. That's certainly not how orchids grow in the wild and how they're that's watered. That's right. I was, that's why I was right. asking. <laughs> right. So you can do it that way. People do have success uh, doing it that way. I have an or- a Phalaenopsis orchid at home, but I actually take mine to the sink. I turn on the water uh, like room temperature water, and I let mm-hmm. the water flush through the pot uh, for about three or four minutes, and then I let the pot drain and then put it back on display. Um, the blooms will last. Any blooms that are on there now will last for, I mean, they can last like two months. They'll start dying, but the buds on the tip of the flower stalk will continue to open. So they last for a very long time. And then when you get to the point, in, this point next year, and you want it to rebloom, call me back and I'll go through the process that's involved in getting that plant to rebloom, which is sort of a, a hit or miss uh, proposal. All right. Very well done. Very well done. Uh, uh, we got about 20 seconds. What, what are you going to get into in the next segment? Uh, well, we're going to talk to Bob, who uh, has a question about a walnut tree. And I'd also like to cover a little bit about forcing bulbs if we have some time, because now is the time to plant some bulbs to force so that you can have something good to give to your Valentine. Jessica Wallace are coming up in just a moment. Keep it green. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. Back at it. 
It's uh, Jessica in today. Doug is off enjoying a well-deserved uh, vacation day. Uh, Jessica, of course, taking your calls at 866-391-1020. Dollar Bank, instant access, kdkradio.com. You can text us on the right automotive line, the best deal in town. 10th caller right now wins a $25 gift certificate from Janoski's in Clinton. That's 412-922-1020. Okay, here we go. Right automotive text message, best deal in town. Before we get to Bob, Good morning, Jessica. I want to know how to trim a holly bush. So far, I have thinned it out, but it's rather large, and I'd like to shrink the size down. Is that possible? Thank you. It is possible, but you need to set up a plan to do this because you really don't want to prune off more than one-third of a shrub's growth in any given year. So if you really need to do a substantial pruning on it, you want to do a third of the height this year, and then next year do a little more, and then the year after that a little more, until eventually it's back to the you know a smaller size. And this goes back to what I was speaking about earlier, which is making sure that you keep things pruned on a regular basis from the time they're young. Then you don't have to manage such an overgrown plant. This is a fine time of year to prune holly, and in fact, we can, you can do it all the way through um, early March. Um, and then you have another opportunity to do it a little bit later on in the summer. But now is really uh, a very good time to do that. Um, but don't, like I mentioned earlier, don't shear it. Follow the tips of those branches back down to where they meet another branch. And that's where you make the cut. Um, and you can go in and thin it out like that. And that will overall shrink the size, but no more than a third every year. All right. Sounds good. Let's go to Bob West Mifflin up next for Jessica Wallace or the Organic Gardeners KDK Radio. Hi, Bob. Good morning, um, and thanks for taking my call. I had a tree started to grow in my back part of my yard, and I found out it, it was a, a walnut tree, and it's been growing from, I guess, a seed, and it's about five, six years old now, and I have yet to see any fruit. Yes, so walnuts just need to be very mature in order to develop the nuts. Um, it's funny that you're anxious for it to start to create nuts because a lot of people that grow walnuts uh, get bothered by all the walnuts everywhere in the autumn because they do drop, you know, once they're mature, they do drop a lot of walnuts and they're kind of can be messy because they have this casing over them that's black and it stains your hands when you go to pick them up. So a lot of people don't like walnuts. Um, but one thing to watch out for, Bob, as you let that walnut tree mature um, that it, walnut trees produce a substance called juglone, which is a, a substance that's it's a, an alle, alleliopathic compound, which means it is a growth inhibitor. So it is meant, it's a way that the walnut tree has evolved to prevent competition with itself. So as the juglone comes out of the roots and out of the plant itself and goes into the soil, it prevents other things from growing around that plant. So if it's near a vegetable garden or near a flower garden, you might want to reconsider that walnut tree simply because it could prevent other plants from growing in its root zone and under its drip line. Well, that's good because uh, around where this tree is, it's part of a hill, and usually weeds grow there, and, and I have, I, you know, we, I whack that down. But um, the, the branches uh, seem to, they just seem spider-like. And uh, as a kid, and the reason why I wanted to walk, because, you know, you, we always go back to our youth. We had a cottage up in Franklin, and, and I really enjoyed the walnuts and picking them and opening them up and, and used them for stuffing. And I did a lot of things with, uh, with the walnuts, and I was looking forward to, you know, this, 
you know, doing that again. Yeah, and I think that's awesome, and I love that you want to grow this tree. Uh, I have great memories, too, of uh, going on walks with my nana and collecting walnuts, and then we'd go back to her house and get the husks off. And So I have very fond memories of them, too, and it's wonderful that it's in a place where it really can be allowed to grow and not inhibit the growth of other things or become problematic for you. Um, so that's terrific. Should I prune it? Um, I would not. I would let the tree do it. Walnuts actually have a beautiful natural shape. I would not do any pruning on it. I would just let the plant mature on its own. You'll actually have more rapid growth because it was grown from a seed than you would if you had planted it as a potted shrub or potted tree. Um, I would let it go. I would, I would guess that probably in another three to five years, you're going to start um, getting some nuts on it, but it does need to have a certain amount of maturity before it will produce them. Well, I love your show, and I listen to it. I work at night, so I come in in the morning, and I love your show. Thank you so well, much. Well, thanks so much, Bob. Nothing like a cup of coffee after a well-deserved night at work to yes. enjoy yes. the show. How about it? All right, uh, real quick, a couple of uh, news and notes. And by the way, Jenny from Baden, the winner of that great gift certificate uh, from Janoski's. But just a couple of things before we go to the break. Yes. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that I wanted to talk about now is a good time to do some uh, pot up some bulbs for forcing. So if you can go to a local garden center and they might have a couple of tulip bulbs or hyacinths or grape hyacinths sort of in the back that really hadn't sold or maybe you left some in the garage because you didn't get around to planting them. Now is a great time to pot them up to force. So what you do basically for this is you pot those spring blooming, blooming bulbs up in a uh, pot, a flower pot. And you're going to want the tips of those bulbs to be about an inch or two below the surface of the soil. You can actually even plant them in layers in the pot with the bigger bulbs on the bottom and then layer them up to smaller bulbs bulbs towards the uh, top of the pot. And you water that in and you put a little piece of plastic over the top of it, like plastic wrap or a dry cleaning bag, some kind of clear plastic. And you hold that pot between 35 and 45 degrees. It can be in an unheated garage. It can be in the back of the refrigerator. It can be in a cold room off of the basement. And you keep it at that temperature for about eight to 10 weeks and check it every now and then to to see if it needs to be watered because you don't want that soil to really dry out. The plastic over it will help keep it moist. Eight to 10 weeks pass. And then you bring that pot of bulbs into the light and warmth of your home. Put it on the dining room table or on the kitchen counter. And within just a few weeks, those bulbs will begin to emerge and you'll have a lovely set of blooms and it would be right around the Valentine's Day at this time. And it's a great way to have and enjoy some beautiful blooms indoors for not very much expense. You can also buy bulbs for forcing from some of the bulb catalogs like Brent and Becky's and uh, Brex bulbs and things like that. Uh, And I would choose, if you can, shorter varieties so that you don't have to stake them in that pot wonderful way to enjoy blooms in the winter. All right. If you have a question you want to get in under the wire before we get to the top of the hour and Shelby Cassessi comes back and checks local news, now would be a great time to call. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners are on KDKA Radio. And it is now time for our Mrs. Know-It-All. She's Denise Schreiber, a horticulturist, garden writer, and all-around garden goddess. Good morning, Denise. How are you? Uh, Good. I'm going to Florida tomorrow. Oh, yay you. Now, you were also in Baltimore recently, I understand. Right. Uh, I'm going to a trade show in Fort Lauderdale tomorrow uh, called uh, the Tropical Plant Industry Expo. 
and I'm just going down for a few days, but there ain't nothing wrong with Fort Lauderdale in January. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I was at Mance this week. Doug was there, too. We ran into each other literally a few times. Now, say what Mance is. Tell everybody what Mid-Atlantic that is. Mid-Atlantic Nursery Trade Show. It is the largest nursery trade show in the United States. If you walk very fast and don't look at, like, equipment, you might be able to see most things in two days, and that's an eight-hour day. Um, but I saw some, but there's also a lot of things for uh, consumers there, although it's not open to consumers. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I saw a garden trellis. It's uh, from the Garden Trellis and Fence Company, and it's a modular unit that lay, you take apart and lays flat. So if you have a storage issue, although you could leave it up, it's um, galvanized steel. It's about uh, six foot high and about six foot long. You can grow any of your vining crops. You can grow cucumbers, your peas, your beans. I also saw it being used as if you grow a lot of sunflowers, and you can grow them inside this and keep them upright so they don't fall over from the wind. Um, and it retails um, for like $199. Uh, so from what I understand, it's going to be going into, they're working on some details with Ace Hardware. So right now you would have to order it online mm-hmm. in order to uh, get it. But uh, I'm hoping that, you know, by spring they'll have all that worked out. But I saw, you know, other great things. I saw a cart for lack of a better term, of a hydroponic system um, that's very easy to use at home. And you can, you know, grow, you know, all your smaller crops, you know, like lettuce, um, you know, beets, that sort of thing, you know, inside the house. It came with the light. The whole system was complete. And then one of the coolest things we thought would be, you know, if you're giving a gift to a gardener, is they have tissue paper that is actually embedded with different seeds. So, you know, and they're right now they're just flower seeds. But, you know, it comes in a pack, and there's like pink and green and blue. And it makes great if you're giving a gift to somebody who's a gardener, you know, that they can actually, you know, cut this paper up and plant it, and they would have flowers. Oh, that's really cool. And it's interesting when you go to trade shows like that within the industry. Yeah, you know, they're not available to the average consumer. But when you go with a trade, um, you can see all of the things that are going to be coming to nurseries before they get there. And in the media, that's wonderful because then we can write and share them with you. And that builds up a little bit of hype for those products. And it really gives us in the industry a sneak peek as to what the trends are going to be, upcoming products. And um, I have not been to Mance, but I have certainly seen it in pictures and certainly heard about it from all the folks like you and Doug who who go there. And um, one of these days, I'm going to get there and see all of the cool products that they carry. So thanks for that report. And I have a feeling that when Doug comes back next week, he's going to have a report about some great things that he found at Mance as well, because there's no doubt that there's plenty to be found. Um, and I think that probably some of the companies that are there are also seed companies. And right now, one of the biggest winter chores tasks, I, it's a fun thing, so I'm not sure that I would call it a chore, uh, but for many gardeners is to sort through those catalogs and decide which varieties that you want to be growing this year. Now, whether you grow indoor, um, you know, you start your own seeds indoors under grow lights, or you buy those seeds to directly sow them out into the garden as the season begins, um, spending some time to really carefully pick which varieties you want to grow 
is a very smart thing and it sets you up for success throughout the season. So checking the varieties for things like disease resistance, for taste and flavor, make sure they're the right height for wherever it is that you want to grow them. Um, Make sure that they are a variety that grows well in our region. So for example, if you wanna grow your own peppers and you wanna grow them from seed rather than buying the plants at a nursery, Peppers are one of those things, especially bell peppers. If you get a variety that isn't bred to grow in our climate, you may have problems getting them to set big, beautiful, colorful peppers on there. Um, So you would look for varieties like King of the North, which obviously is made for northern regions like ours, versus something like California Wonder, which is a discussion we had at the Master Gardener group yesterday. California Wonder's not a great variety for Pittsburgh. It's a great variety for California. So choose carefully and wisely when you're talking about looking from seed. All right, Dollar Bank Instant Access. Love the show, Jessica. My stored garlic is withering up. Some look like they are rotting. What did I do wrong? Thanks. Oh, probably improper storage conditions. So garlic is is one of those things. It's also varieties. So some varieties have a longer storage life than others. uh, And it's important that you try to choose ones that are known for a long storage life. I have found that I get the best storage life out of garlic when I store the dried uh, heads in egg cartons. And you kind of have to tip them on their sides when you put them in the a paper egg carton, not one of the styrofoam ones, but a paper one. If you tip the uh, head of garlic on its side so that the stalk is bent over to the side, you can fit 12 of them inside of an egg carton and then close up the egg carton. And then I stack those egg cartons in my shelf in my pantry. And that seems to keep the humidity at the perfect level around those um, heads of garlic so that they don't dry out too quickly. I find when I hang garlic or I put it loose in the pantry, it dries out really quickly and then I get that shriveling. So combination of the right varieties, the the right kind of curing, and then the right kind of storage, and that's going to give you the longest shelf life. And and remember, the organ- organic gardeners always aim to teach you how to create a better place to garden and a safer place to live. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.